Well, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to uh, finish up this first chapter. I hope you guys are reading ahead. Ephesians is such a good, good book. Well, Paul writes here, he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is the first two uh, prayers that, that, pray, that Paul prays for the Ephesians. And he gives thanks for their faith. And I, I love that because, you know, we should be thankful for that. In fact, you know, when Paul is praying here, I mentioned it a little bit Sunday, but it's, it's just a good spot to talk about the direction of our prayer. Because so often, and, and even tonight, you know, that we were praying for some people that have had illnesses and, and, and sickness and that kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, I know one of them at least does not know the Lord. And in reality, her problem, while it is physical, that's not her main problem. Her main problem is she doesn't know the Lord. And I'm reminded of the king of Israel who on his deathbed, he begged the Lord for 15 more years. Just give me 15 more years. And he had actually done pretty good up to that point. And the Lord granted him his, his, his request. And he did not finish well. The rest of his life was a miserable failure. Here's my point. What good is it for a person to be whole in this life and spend an eternity in hell? Uh, it would be better, honestly, to depart early and to be right with the Lord and have an eternity with Christ. So, you know, Paul making mention of these guys in his prayers as he says that he does, but he's thankful for their faith. And I am too. When, when somebody gives their life to the Lord, I want to see them come to Jesus. Uh, do we want to pray for people's health? Absolutely. Uh, God still heals. The Lord is still powerful. Jesus is still on the throne. We know that he can do that. And we want to pray in those directions. But let's make sure that that's what's needed. You know, if, if somebody really doesn't know the Lord, you know, that's what they need first and foremost. They need to come to Christ. Now, granted, uh, only the Lord can draw them, uh, but it doesn't stop us from spreading the seed. You know, we need to plant the seed. We need to talk to them about Jesus. Uh, Paul was very direct in his prayer. You know, once again, I think I mentioned it Sunday, you know, when somebody succumbs, you know, to an illness, uh, I won't even call it, let me rephrase that, because drunkenness, alcoholism is not an illness. Uh, the, the society says it is. But it's, uh, if it is, it's the only self-inflicted one that I know of. Um, but you have a person who's battling addiction and those type of things. And sometimes we want to pray that you know, they'll remove that from them or that God will remove the thirst uh, for alcohol from them. And yet they don't know Christ. Well, their main problem is they just don't know the Lord. You know, because when Jesus comes into a person's life, and, and, and probably you, certainly some people listening to us tonight, have a testimony that they were into drugs, they were into alcohol, they were into whatever that thing was, pornography, whatever that thing was they were addicted to. But when they came to the cross, you know, when they came to Jesus 
And as the Lord filled them with his Holy Spirit, that miraculously, I remember my brother, this would have been 1980, wow, mid-80s, 84, 85. I remember he was very antagonistic about Christ. Back in those days, I was a pretty young minister. And uh, when my phone, you know, back in the day when we had a phone on the wall, does anybody remember that? Remember that? Yeah, you were tethered to the, lot, to the wall. The phone would ring, and every time I'd pick up the phone, I'd say, praise the Lord. That was how I answered the phone. And I remember one time, uh, I got a phone call, and I picked up the phone, and I said, praise the Lord, and this is what I heard on the other line. Yeah, praise the Lord. And I, I knew the voice. It was my brother. Uh, it was my brother John. If he, he's, he might be listening tonight, so I'm telling on him. But he didn't know Christ, and he was very antagonistic. And I thought, you know, wow. Because uh, he, would, he would really dig at me. He would call me up sometimes just to chide me about being a Christian. But this time was different. And he called me up and he said, uh, hey, he says, uh, I want you to do me a favor. I said, what? He goes, would you come out here to California? I want you to baptize me. I started laughing. I thought he was drunk. I really did. I thought he's got to be high. You know, he's loaded. That's it. There's something wrong. You know, this, this can't be the John I know. And so after he talked and told me he would pay, pay my way up and back, and I, I, didn't even, I didn't even hesitate. I said, sure. So I, within a few days, I was on a plane. And this is what I ran, ran into. I remember getting off in Los Angeles <laughs> Airport, you know, at LAX. And I'm getting off, and I've got my briefcase, and I'm walking down the flank. And my brother John at that time, he had this real long red hair, and he's, he's substantially older than I am. And he, there was a movie on, or a television show years ago called Grizzly Adams. You guys remember that? And there was a the guy had this big, full beard. That was my brother, John. He looked just like him. He had this big, full beard. Anyway, he was standing there waiting for me to get off the plane. And we get into his truck. And one of the first things he does is he reaches under the seat. And he pulls up and he pops, you know, a Budweiser. <laughs> I thought, oh, my gosh. What have I gotten myself into? He's tricked me, you know. He's got me out here all to himself. Now he can ridicule me at will. And I <laughs> but here's what happened. I went home with him, of course, and we began having these conversations. I didn't even address the drunkenness that was going on. I didn't even address it. Uh, I was there for two weeks, and all I did was have Bible studies, and I just wanted him to listen to the Word of God. And I was talking to him about salvation and what Jesus had come to do. And I'll never forget it one time, you know, he says, uh, we were sitting there and, and he still hadn't really made a profession of faith and I hadn't baptized him. I wasn't about to. Not until he gave his life to Christ. And the subject of drinking came up and he brought it up. And I says, well, you know, you are, you are hooked. And he got mad. And he's like, well, I don't have to drink this. And I said, well, if you don't have to, then why are you? And he, he said, I knew it would come to this. I knew that. I says, no, you brought it up. I didn't. But now that you brought it up, you know, brother, it's not a get-to for you. It's a have-to. You know it and I know it. So he walked out of the room. And the Lord really told me, just keep quiet. Don't, don't say no more. So I didn't. And so another week went by, and he kept coming to the Bible studies, and, and we actually, he invited people from work, his wife did too, and, and we actually had a big one one night, and it was pretty powerful. And, and you know, it, 
then finally, I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to have to go home. You know, I can't just stay here. And, and uh, he, But his attitude had really changed, and I hadn't noticed this. Now, he, my brother was such an alcoholic, and, and, he, and he was hooked on drugs, too. Uh, he, in his kitchen, we had a beautiful home, but he actually had two refrigerators, two big ones. And one was for food, and the other one was just for beer. I mean, I'm not making this up. Literally, the whole thing was just full of beer. I mean, it's what he did. And um, so one night he comes in from work, and I, I was sitting there just reading, and uh, he begins to share with me, and he says, well, when are you going to baptize me? And I says, well, when are you going to make a profession of faith? <laughs> Have you given your life to Christ? And so we, and, and, and he said he had. And so I got to pray with him. But, but here's what he told me. And I says, well, John, you know, I said, pray about that addiction, will you? He said, what addiction? I said, well, you know, the drinking. And he went, Doug, he said, uh, I dumped it out. And I said, well, then what's all this? And I reached over and I opened up that refrigerator. The refrigerator was empty. And here, that night, when I had went to bed, he had gotten rid of all of it. And it, this has been over a week now at that time. But not, not only did he quit drinking, okay, but he quit cigarettes at the same time. And I'm not saying if you smoked, it's just sin. But I'm just saying for him, he was addicted. So he quit that, he quit drinking, and he quit drugs. Like that. How? Well, the Holy Spirit. Okay? I didn't have to say anything. Matter of fact, as I was getting ready to leave, I was sitting in his living room. And this is so funny. John was, an, he, not only did he like, he really enjoyed drinking. It wasn't like he was just hooked. He was hooked. But he really liked it. Okay? So much so that he was a collector. And I hadn't even noticed it. In his living room, I hadn't paid much attention. He had this one whole wall that was kind of, that he had built. He's a, an excellent carpenter. But he had built these like little shadow box, but it was huge. It covered the whole wall. And in each and every little box, there was an antique beer that he had paid serious cash for. Some of them were like 100 years old, still, still in the bottle. And I remember sitting there, I think it was either the night, two, major, two nights before I was getting ready to leave. And I just noticed it when I was sitting there. And he goes, what are you staring at? And I went, ooh. I said, man, I didn't see that. He goes, what? I said, boy, that looks like a bridge to me. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, all that beer. He goes, oh, that's not drinkable. I said, no, but it's a bridge. It's a reminder. You know, I said, if it were me, and he said, go get the milk crates. So I did, man. I ran and we got these milk crates. We just started. We went out front of the house and he turned on the hose and we sat there and I was, and some of it still fizzed after, you know, many, many years. And we sat there and poured it all out, you know. Here's my only point. What John needed wasn't to be free from alcohol. What John needed was to be freed from sin. What John needed wasn't to be freed from drugs. What he needed was to be whole in Jesus. What he needed wasn't a set of rules or things that he didn't or wasn't allowed to do. What he needed to know was what he had in Christ. And once he had that, then he was able. And, and really, it just, it just left. Nobody had to tell him to do it. Nobody, and my testimony is the same. Uh, of course, not to the extent of his. I didn't have those type of addictions, but I had other things that I had to battle. And, but maybe some of your testimony is the same way. My point being, once again, you know, we can sit and tell people or we can pray directly to what the problem actually is. And 99% of the time, and I'm not saying that Christians don't suffer with addiction. Please do not misunderstand me because sometimes 
that is the case. Uh, be that for whatever reason. Sometimes it's just bad teaching. But for the most part, you know, when a person comes to Christ, he's a new creature. You know, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So in our prayer life, and I know it's so easy to do. You know, we just start praying because we don't want to see people hurting. We don't want to see people suffering with addiction or whatever that thing is. So we tend to pray to that. Paul doesn't do that in our text. You know, Paul really wants to see these guys blessed. He wants them, you know, he doesn't want them worrying about the persecution, which some of what was going on in Ephesus. Uh, he knew. He didn't, he didn't pray to those things. He prayed that they would know what their position in Christ was. And so often in the body of Christ today, that's what the problem is with most Christians. You know, when they fall into it, they just don't know who they are in the Lord. That's why the book of Ephesians is so important because the first thing Paul is really teaching us is that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. If you're in him, my gosh, you know, the blessing that you have in the Lord is immense, you know. And then he's going to tell us to stand in the word and then he's going to say, then walk, you know, in the liberty of which in Christ has set you free. But praying to the problem. Look at verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And we talked a little bit about this on Sunday. You know, having that revelation knowledge, the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, you know, accurate knowledge. And I don't know whether I shared it uh, then, but I'll share it with you now. You remember uh, Zophar, one of the uh, so-called friends of Job, you know, asked a simple question, you know, who can... Who can find God by simply searching out, you know? And it's a rhetorical question. And today you see that a lot. People by their intellectual means trying to search God out or trying to find God by intellectual means. There's even people, you know, they use the term Scientology. You know, L. Ron Hubbard, who thought that he could come up with some sort of a, now granted, it has nothing to do with Christianity, but they're trying by technology, if you will, to attain the only something that God can do by the Spirit, you know. So the true knowledge of God can only be had by revelation. And, and when you say that sometimes, people kind of freak out because, and I, and I agree, there's a lot of people out there who believe in what we would call extra-biblical revelation. And that's a dangerous place to go. It's a dangerous place to be because what it implies is that somehow you can have a knowledge of God that's separate from what I know. Now, hear me out. God will operate differently in each and every one of our lives. We know that, you know. The Holy Spirit knows what it takes to get to Doug Cope, and, and, and he knows what it takes to get to Marilyn Johnson or, or whoever, and it's entirely different. You know, the things that the Lord uses to speak to me are going to be different than what he does to you. But who Jesus is, who God is and his nature, well, that's something that only comes by revelation. And when we talk about revelation, we're not talking about some ethereal thing that just manifests itself in your mind, but we're talking about something that comes from the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the revelation. I mean, even the book of Revelation, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, the book of Revelations, as though it's a whole multitude of revelations. No, go back and read that again. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is a revelation. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. Of course, after he's in heaven, you know, it's John unve unveiling that of who Jesus is. Well, the Word of God does that from the very beginning. You know, it is revealing to us who Jesus is, but it takes the Spirit of God 
to enlighten us as Paul's praying for these guys, that their understanding would be enlightened. It takes that spirit to open your eyes that when you read it, you know, it jumps out at you. Here recently, I was reading, well, it was yesterday, I think, there was a, a, a thread on Facebook, and I, I say it all the time, but I'll say it again. I need to quit reading that junk because it just drives me nuts. Bad theology will scare you. If you, you know, somebody quoted the very uh, parable that I quoted Sunday, the pearl of great price. And they asked the question, who is the pearl? And I thought, oh, no, no, here we go. I knew what it would. And one guy, you know, is it, is it us or is, is it Jesus? And I shouldn't have opened it. I just, I, and I knew better. Just leave it alone, Doug. Just keep, just, just wave and, and, and walk by. And I couldn't do it. I opened it. And sure enough, this one, I'll be nice, guy, says, oh no, it's not, it's not us. And the amount, if you know anything about Facebook, and when somebody makes a comment, people will hit like, or you know, they'll put a comment onto it. I couldn't believe how many likes it had. And one guy, one guy whose theology was actually right, he said, oh no, no. Even Charles Spurgeon said, this is absolutely, we are the pearl, and Christ was the one who gave it all to purchase us, which is every theologian who's worth his salt would tell you that. And yet that person had one like. Now, what's that tell me? That tells me that a lot of people have no idea of their worth in Jesus Christ, and that when they read these parables, they think that somehow they've done it all. You know, They've done it all. Even the disciples one time, remember they came to Jesus. They said, Lord, we have forsaken all to follow you. What a hypocritical statement. What a lie. Well, they hadn't. Jesus had forsaken everything to come for them, but they certainly had not forsaken all for him. None of us have ever forsaken all. Jesus is the only one who truly has given everything for us but our understanding of the grace of God and how much you are worth to Christ, this is what Paul's praying for these Ephesians to get. Because once you do, once you get that, oh my, you know, the difference that that makes in your life, you know, uh, we're always laughing because every time you ask Marilyn, how are you doing? She's always saying, well, I'm blessed. But she means it, you know, and I hate to talk about her when she's here because I do enough of that when she's not. And uh, no, I'm joking, I do not, it's all good. But I appreciate that. I appreciate that because I feel the same way. You know, I'm blessed. And the Lord has been so good to me, not just because he answers my prayers or not just because he has given me a nice place to live or he's put money in my pocket, but in spite of that. Because even the, the, even the material things that God has allowed me to have has, has, is really no comparison to the blessing that I know that I'm right where he wants me to be in him. And if I die tomorrow, you know, I'm simply moving on to a much better thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with material wealth. There's certainly nothing wrong with it. But I, I do find that when you're willing to do without it, you know, what did Paul say? I've learned to abound and I've learned to be abased. But in whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. That's really what we're looking for is that contentment. 
And if you can genuinely, if you've ever been in a place where you genuinely needed physical things and then had them, none, but you still had the Lord, you had more than most, you know. So it's having that knowledge of who we are in him and all that we've been blessed with in him. That's, that's what we're really looking for. That's what Paul is praying for these guys, to have that true knowledge uh, that only comes from the Lord. Now, there's this interesting passage in John 4, 23. You can look it up. You can turn there if you want. And when Jesus was talking to his uh, disciples prior to his ascension, you know, it says that he had to open their understanding to the scriptures so that they could know it. So Jesus also said, no man can come to me except the Father uh, which has sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. The point uh, which is driven home over and over again in the scriptures is that God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in truth and in spirit. And this is really what Paul's talking about with the Ephesians. He wants them to understand their spiritual position in Christ. And that's what John speaks to. And, and if, you're, if you're there, look at John 4, 23. You know, and of course, this is the Lord talking. He, and he says, remember, this is the woman at the well. You remember that? Remember the woman at the well? That woman who had been, I'll throw this one in for free. It's not my notes. She'd been married, what, five times. Five times. And then was living with the last one and wasn't married, you know. And yet the Lord had some great news for her. But here's what he says to her. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, and if you're taking notes, make note of that. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now let me point something out to you. If there's true worshipers, it's evident there must be what? False worshipers. And those are people who try to worship Christ not according to the spirit and not according to the truth of his word. And we're living in the age now, gang, where that is so prevalent it's going to become harder and harder to tell who is who, you know? So those who worship him in truth and in spirit, the word of God is truth. And so we want to worship God absolutely in the spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, but in the truth of his word, having the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us in the truth of the word. So it's impossible because we have to worship God in, truth, in spirit and truth. It's impossible for a natural man to know by his own intellectual prowess you know, anything about God or to understand God in any way. It just can't be done, even though they try. I remember so many times I've, I've run into people who want to tell me that they're spiritual. I remember witnessing to this one young man who came into my office one day. This is when I owned the laboratory, and I just started talking to him about Christ, and and he says, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm spiritual. <laughs> I had never heard it. This has been years ago. I had never heard somebody say that up to that point. And I, and I misunderstood what he meant. I, I thought he meant that he was a Christian. And I said, so you're, 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 you're born again? He went, oh, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but I'm spiritual. I said, what does that mean? I'm spiritual. What it meant that he was, he was so open-minded that his brains had ran out. That's what it meant. You know, he was open to anything, you know, anything that even looked like it had something spiritual about it. That's what he was into, and he would worship anything. And I was like, wow. You know, so once again, those that worship God, the true worshipers, Jesus said, 
are those who worship the Father in truth, and God desires such to worship him. You know, so we have to worship God in truth and in spirit because there are so many people who do not worship God in truth and in spirit. They're worshiping something, but it isn't God. Look at verse 18. Paul says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So we talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, last Sunday, that you are God's inheritance. Now I know I've got a mirror. I can look in the mirror. I know that God's getting the cheap end of the deal. I know that, you know? But the beauty of it is, is that if you know that you're God's inheritance, if you know that, you know, you think about how many, well, years ago, this is when I was pastoring Calvary Chapel in Zanesville. I remember I was up in a cafe, and these were people in our church, in our fellowship, and a, a young woman who was probably 30-something at that time told me that, uh, well, she didn't tell me. She was I'm using my pastoral prerogative and eavesdropping because uh, I was in the same room, but she was talking to a friend of hers how she one of her favorite shows was a show at that time called The Girls Next Door. Maybe you heard of it. I hadn't at the time. But it was a story, it's a, it was a television show about these three girls who were live-in lovers of Hugh Hefner. Yeah. I mean, let me rephrase this so you understand what we're saying. Three girls who were probably not old enough to be his granddaughters living in a absurd, disgusting situation with a man old enough to be their great-grandfather. That was her favorite show. So to put it even bluntly, it's three prostitutes, because that's what they are. Because if you're giving your body away, gang, you're selling that which is precious in the sight of the Lord for anything. You know, I think it's odd that, you know, once again, what the Bible uses as language is used for a purpose. We, we like to sanitize things. We want to call it something that it isn't. You know, we don't want to call prostitutes prostitutes. Bible calls them whores. We don't want to use that term because that just sounds harsh. So we call them call girls or we call them playboy playmates or whatever. But if you're being paid to take your clothes off, to disgrace yourself in the front of the whole world, and to show yourself that you have no worth, well, you're right where Satan wants you. You have fallen for the lie that you're worthless. You know, we hear people talk about all the time, you know, well, they, they have low self-esteem. Oh, I got news for you. No, they got all kinds of self-esteem. What they don't have is self-worth because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know that you're that pearl of great price that Christ gave everything for. Because if you did, if you really understood that, there wouldn't be prostitutes. There wouldn't be girls next door. There wouldn't be that kind of thing. But there surely shouldn't be in the body of Christ people who think that that's cool. Me and my daughter was talking about this very issue just a couple nights ago. And she was talking about how uh, there was a series out here a few years ago that was the most popular series even amongst Christians. And it was called Fifty Shades of Grey. This was nothing but smut. I mean, absolute pornography gang. 
And yet, so many Christians were reading it, women mainly, you know, but it was just terrible stuff. But so we read about women degrading themselves, degrading themselves, abusing themselves, treating themselves worthlessly, and we read that as entertainment. There's something wrong. That's not right. That's crazy. You don't know know who you are. This is what Paul is trying to remedy with these guys. He's trying to give them a vision. I'm praying, he says, that God gives your, your understanding, that he enlightens that so that you know what your calling is in him. Because once you know that, you, you wouldn't degrade yourself, you wouldn't belittle yourself to, to, to those depths if you understood how much was paid for you. Because you are genuinely that pearl of great price. Christ paid it all. So, but yeah, it's crazy the, the stuff that people will do. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, it's a very common uh, passage of scripture. You guys probably already know it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, but, but as it is written, I have not seen or ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that the Lord has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us, you know, in this latter day, in, in, by his spirit. And, of course, the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So, knowing not only who we are in Christ, the value that Christ has put upon us, but knowing the hope of our calling in him. We've been talking a lot about people dying here lately, and it does seem that it runs in spurts, people being called home. And You know, I came home yesterday. I had a, I had a great report from my cardiologist, and I was tell, telling my wife, wife, I have a pretty, I have to admit, I have kind of a morbid sense of humor, <laughs> but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and I said, she goes, well, how do you feel? And I said, I feel great. And then I went, turned around and said, right, the man said right before he dropped dead, <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> I worked for a doctor one time, and we actually watched that happen one time. Uh, listen, because I know who I am in Christ, and because I know the hope of my calling, I don't fear that, I've got to be honest, which is why my cardiologist probably gets mad at me, because I, I don't fear it. And I think he does, and he ought to. Oh, listen to me. I've heard people talk. You ever heard somebody say, well, they didn't believe in heaven or hell, or they say, well, you know, this, 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 this life is hell, you know. And I agree with that. Before you say anything, listen, I agree with that for a believer. Now think about this. Do you realize in Jesus uh, that all you have in Christ, the hell that you put up with in this life, the suffering, the misery, all the garbage that goes with it, that's all the hell you're ever going to know. That's it. But here's the sad part, my friends, if you're listening to me by any other means and you're not a believer, well, this is all of heaven you're ever going to see. See, the majority of your existence will be hell, very literal, in a place that you will not want. And it's not God's will, the Bible says, that any would wind up there. It's not God's will that any would perish. But that all would come to repentance. That all not only would come to repentance, but that they would come to know what is their inheritance in Christ. That they would know what is waiting for them on the other side. 
I have to admit, I love having those discussions with people when we sit and talk about, you know, I know it's speculation. We, we have the Word of God, and we get to see through this glass darkly. But the Bible does tell me quite a bit about what it's going to be like when we get there. I've had people ask me, you know, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And I said, well, I, I have my own opinions. But let me say this. Wherever Jesus is, wherever he's at, that's good enough for me. That'll be heaven to me. You know, Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, lo, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. So wherever Christ is at, that's going to be my heaven. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that we can't even really comprehend. We have a view of it. We have a taste of it through the word. He kind of gives us an idea. But I don't know whether you've ever experienced something that was far beyond your expectation. You know, you, you went to something or maybe you had some experience that you thought was going to be good. <laughs> but when you got it, it was like, wow, you know, it was so over the top. Multiply that a million times. I'm sure that it's going to be that way when we step from this life to the next. The amazement that will be on our, you know, in our hearts. I just, I, that should just remove any fear if you believe it. But yeah, is there hell in this life? Oh, if you want to call it that. You know, there's suffering, there's pain, there's trial, there's temptation, but this is all we ever have to put up with. And when you think about the length of it, you know, think about that in, in the scope and in the perspective of eternity. You know, James says this life is but a vapor. It appears for a moment. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm 60, I'll be 62 coming in October. And I know some of you guys are older than I am, and, and uh, that's, how, that's cool. But I'm sure you have experienced the fact that where did the time go? You know, where did it go? Because I got to be honest with you, I mean, it, it didn't seem like it was just yesterday that me and my brothers were playing ball out back of the house, you know, and punching each other. And where did it go? You know, I turned around and I was 60 years old. Wow. James was right. This life is but a vapor. It comes and then it goes. It's so short, but eternity is forever. You know, that's my point. Eternity is forever. And if you know who you are in Christ and you know what your inheritance is in the Lord and the hope of our calling that we have in Him, oh, there's nothing but good things to come, you know. Nothing but good things to come. It's all going to be a blessing in the Lord. Look at verse 19. We'll finish up. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the work of His mighty power? So, once again, if we only not only knew the calling or the hope of our calling in Christ, but we knew the power that's available to us in the Lord, you know, and most of that power, to be honest with you, is in prayer. I heard a pastor the other day say, and I didn't rebuke him because I was in the face of, I was in the presence of other people. And he's a young man. He just doesn't know how wrong he was. And here's what I heard him say. Somebody, and he said it in front of other people that were sitting there, and I said nothing. I said nothing because I wouldn't rebuke another pastor in front of other people. But he said, 
Somebody said something about there being power in prayer. I said, amen. And he very vehemently said, there's no power in prayer. My wife was there. There's no power in prayer. Now here's the way he qualified it. The only power is in, in God. You know, I was like, yeah, but you're missing a very important scripture. Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, young pastor. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And if that ain't power, I don't know what is. We have power. The same power that coursed through Jesus courses through you. Absolutely it does. Why? Because of your faith in him. Because you you have put your faith in him. He has put his spirit in you. And the very power, Paul says, that raised up Jesus from the dead will raise this mortal body one of these days. And even in this particular time that we live, we can come against certain things and certain aspects of life in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of prayer. And prayer does change things. It doesn't change God. And I've heard people argue this. It doesn't, I understand that. It doesn't change God's mind. But it does change things. And prayer is powerful. There is power in prayer. Don't ever let somebody tell you that it's not true. It absolutely it is. You know, James says that it is. It's very powerful. You know, I had somebody told me that tonight after I shared my, my testimony, and she said, I pray for you every day. I said, I'm banking on it. I'm banking on it. I wasn't going to share this, but I'll share this with you. Me and my wife was talking. This has been a couple nights ago before I got my report. And we were just talking about the difference of Calvary Chapel Newark and Calvary Chapel Zanesville. And I said, why is it such a blessing? And I was asking myself this, and I don't want you to misunderstand this, and certainly those who listen to me by radio and who I used to pastor do not misunderstand me what I'm about to say because I loved everybody. I've always loved people. If I didn't love people, I wouldn't be in ministry. And I was very privileged to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel Zanesville for many, many years. And I loved those people. I still love those people. But the blessing of pastoring, we were successful in a very physical way. We had a radio station. We had a cafe. We had a an outreach, you know, we were on the front page of the newspaper, and, you know, I mean, everybody knew us, and, and, uh, and I did a lot of things that I did, and this is something the Lord has opened my eyes to, and I was sharing this with my wife, and I said, you know, I've been more blessed this time, and the question was, why was that? Why is that? And I said, because, and this is what the Lord showed me, before You know, I was doing a lot of things in my own flesh. I was doing it according to my own ability. And that's hard to admit when you're a preacher. And I never would have admitted it before until you see the contrast in your own life, until you see what God can really really do. Uh, When you get out of the way and... Pride is the beginning of the downfall of anybody. And the difference now is I don't have the strength that I used to. 
I don't have the agility that I once did. I have to depend on everybody, especially the Lord. Oh, I do my study. I put my time in. But I am absolutely dependent upon Christ and his strength to do what I do. And the blessing that has come from that has been so much greater than what it was before. It's not that I didn't trust the Lord before. It's not that I wasn't doing things in the name of Christ. And maybe this is hard for you guys to understand, but, but I think pastors will understand what I mean. It's easy to fall into your pride. It's easy to fall back on your own strength. But when you don't have it anymore, when you're not able, then you have nothing but Jesus Christ. And that's the best place to be. If you're going to be effective for God and for Christ and for what he has us doing, then all of our strength has to be drawn from him. If you understand what I'm saying, this is what Paul really is preaching to the Ephesians to know who you are in Christ and to know the hope of your calling and the power that we have through him and through prayer because power, boy, we can get it confused, you know. I used to be a gym rat, you know, and we would all go to the gym and we'd pump iron and I'm not allowed to do that anymore. And there's a lot of things I'm not, I can't do. But I can depend on Jesus. And even as older people, another lesson I've learned, God isn't done with you, okay? The fact is, until you go home to be with Christ, he's not done with you. In fact, for most of us, the biggest blessing we're going to have in ministry is going to be within the next 10 or 20 years, if we have that. But this last portion of our life, can very well be the best and the most powerful. Let me tell you the mistake that the church is making, and I'm probably going to preach this on Sunday. And it jumps out at me because I've been on both sides of the fence now. The church has made a drastic mistake of thinking that the older people in the church are just there to sit in the back pew and fund everything. But here's what the Bible says. Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, Timothy, let the older women teach the younger women. You know, and then he talks to the fathers and how we are to be in the church as elders. You know, even in Jews, you know, the Jews, when they picked an elder, an elder had to be at least 50, at least. Today, the effort in most of the church is put all straightforward into the young, into the youth, do we need those guys? Absolutely. We want to see everybody come to Christ. But who disciples them? Who disciples them? I've got to be honest with you. If I'm going to learn business, I want to learn business from a man who's been in business and who's successful at business. If I'm going to learn the things of Christ, I want to learn it from a man who's been doing it for a lot of years, who's been successful in his walk with the Lord, who has been through trial and tribulation, and who has come out on the other side. If I was a young woman, I'd want to learn from a woman who's the same way. That's the mistake that the church is making today. They're basically throwing away one of the greatest assets that the Lord has given to the church, and that's its elderly people, its faithful saints. 
that have served the Lord for many, many years and who have been through the trials and the tribulation and who has come out on the other side stronger than they went into it. And we haven't passed that down because they don't want us. You know what I mean? They don't want us. But God is doing something different here. I think it's amazing. That's why I love Calvary Chapel North because God's doing something different. It's not the way I would have done it. But boy, it's fun to watch. Let's go ahead and look at verse 20 and 21. That power we're talking about, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, which the Bible says he makes intercessions for you all the time, right there. Far above all principality and power, might and dominion, every name that is named not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Verse 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all things. And so Christ is the head of the church. One of the greatest needs that we have is for the church, once again, my friends, to acknowledge that Jesus is the head, that Jesus is the one who should be doing the leading. What we do as elders is we don't lead the church. What we do is we go to prayer and we rely upon the Lord to lead the church and that we would be open and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide it. We just want, we're just under shepherds is what that word is. We're under rowers. We're not leading anything. Not really. And the church today tries to gain people by every program, everything you could possibly imagine, rock shows and light shows and whatever that thing is that they're throwing out there now to try to draw people in. And it ain't working because we see more heresy, more goofiness entering into the church regardless of those programs. But really just getting back to acknowledging that Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of the body. He's the one who leads the church. All we need to do is sit back, pray, and allow him to do what he does so well by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the hope of our calling in you. We thank, Lord Father, that those of us who have put our faith in you, Lord Father, would have our eyes and understanding enlightened that we would know the hope of our calling in you. And Lord Father, that the power that raised up Jesus will also raise up this mortal body. We love you so much. We thank you for all that you're doing in your fellowship and in the church, Lord Father, amongst your people. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.